0: Warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program.
1: Britannia, a very British podcast, about very British movies. A happy Easter to everybody listening. It is our Easter episode. Scott here as usual to help me celebrate is our good friend, my co-host Stephen. Good morning, sir.
2: Morning mate, how are you doing? I'm
1: very well. Easter. You've you've selected this particular movie. There's not many Easter movies that we could have picked, British wise.
2: No, it was either this or it was um, Wallace and Gromit and the Weir Rabbit, I think.
1: And the Long Good so, Friday was the only other Long one. Long Good
2: Friday, yeah, yeah, of
1: course, yeah.
2: yeah. Um, so, yes, I decided to go off of this. It's, you know, it's got a bit of crucifixion in it, and everybody <laughs> loves a bit of crucifixion now and again. <laughs> Why so, not
1: celebrate Easter? Yeah, that's it, the, the, the good yeah.
2: old-fashioned But it's, it's, <laughs> a, it, is, it is like a, a traditional film to me to watch for Easter. Do you watch um, it quite regularly? You know, I watch it at, at least every easter if not more often oh, well, yeah okay. so I've, I've it's one of the films i've seen most in my life as it turns out i've realized because i've watched it you know which every year for the last 20 years at least
1: didn't realize myself how many times i'd seen it until i was watching it last night it's that whole thing of saying the words as they come along you know and even predicting the words before they're spoken i was that familiar with it. It's, i haven't watched it so much recently Uh, The last time I I watched it was four years ago when we reviewed it on the Stinking Paws podcast. And we chose it as a Christmas movie, funny enough, rather than an Easter movie. Because obviously how the the film starts. For those that don't know, it's it's Life of Brian, Monty Python. Celebrating its 40th anniversary. By the time this show goes out, we're hoping this show's going to go out on Good Friday, if not Easter Saturday. It's got a nationwide re-release this weekend.
2: Brilliant.
1: Mm, So... We've actually, you know, the stars have aligned for once for us. It's crazy.
2: Well, it just shows that the influential people
1: are listening to our podcast. You think that was all down to down to us, was it? The 40th anniversary I, re-release, I, yeah.
2: I think that Adam has pulled some strings and thought, I've got an idea here, chaps. <laughs> so, um, well done, Adam, again. Yeah, uh, <laughs> using your influence and your superpowers for good as usual.
1: Finger on the pulse, yeah. <laughs> yes. What we we'll do? Let's take a very short break, and we'll be back after this.
0: Everyone knows the glorious story of the child born in a faraway manger. Well, this isn't that story. <laughs> This is Monty Python's all-new, Life of Brian. Big old
3: Brian.
0: He was born into the golden age of Roman rule.
4: Do we have any crucifixions today? 139, sir. Special celebration.
0: It was a time of miracles.
4: I was blind and now I can see. Oh!
0: Friendly persuasion. And gracious invaders but there was just one thing on everyone's mind
1: sex 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 that's all they think about
0: it. <laughs> in those days getting stoned wasn't against the law it was the law <laughs> and things looked bad
4: <laughs>
0: for the people of jerusalem
4: still a few crosses left
0: until brian dropped in He was a born leader
4: Brothers, brothers, we should be struggling together We are
0: A potential martyr
4: What would they do to me? Oh, you'll probably get away with crucifixion Crucifixion? Yeah, first offense
0: And his mother's joy you
4: mean, telling them? They think I'm the messiah, Mum The messiah! There's no messiah in
0: here
4: There's a mess, all right, but no messiah
0: And now, it's up to Brian to deliver a despairing nation from the throes of oppression. (laughs) Tough luck, Jerusalem. This is the life of Brian. Just when you thought you were saved. It's Monty Python's life of Brian. He wasn't the messiah. He was a very naughty boy.
4: Terrific race, the Romans. Terrific.
1: Life of Brian, released on the 8th of November 1979 in the UK. Directed by Terry Jones. Although, listening to the commentary last night, Terry Gilliam did also direct a few scenes as well, starring the Monty Python team, which, of course, Graham Chapman, John Cleese, Terry Gilliam, Eric Idle, Terry Jones, Michael Palin, and then, of course, you've got people like Neil Innes and uh, Carol Cleveland are in there, some famous faces that you usually see around the Monty Python team. Synopsis, please, Stephen.
2: It's uh, the story of Brian of Nazareth, born on the same day as Jesus who takes a different path in life and leads to the same conclusion. Brian joins a political resistance movement aimed at getting the Romans out of Judea. Brian scores a victory of sorts when he manages to paint political slogans on the entire wall of the city of Jerusalem. The movement is not very effective, but somehow Brian becomes a prophet and gathers his own following. His fate is sealed, however, and he lives a very short
1: life. (laughs) It sounds like... A very serious <laughs> religious historical movie from the from that synopsis. There's no element of comedy in there at all. Is there? No,
2: but uh, every single element of of it is um, is ripped to pieces. The um, the history. They they don't. One thing they don't do, which is the accusations they had at the time, and and to some extent still have since. One thing they don't do is mock Jesus, but no. they 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 mock the interpretation of. Of the teachings of Christianity um, and, and Christianity, uh, Christians themselves, it mocks the the resistance to authority that's coming from a different country, and to the actual um, the perpetrators of this who come in from other countries um, as the the invading force. It just picks up on gender identity and, and <laughs> yes. politics and and all sorts of things. It, it mocks everything you could you can imagine, really. But apart from the one thing it's accused of mocking, So, I which
1: know. is... Yeah, it's one thing that some of the big religious groups at the time just were so blinkered that they didn't see, did they? I mean, there's that famous... It was a late-night ch- chat show, wasn't it, with John Cleese and Michael Palin? I think Malcolm Muggridge was there.
5: Malcolm Muggeridge and the Bishop of Suffolk. That was I it. Think it
1: was. Who hadn't and seen the movie.
2: Yes, neither, neither <laughs> had seen the film. Uh, no. Um, they had seen it, but they came in late. That was it. To it. So they, they missed the initial first 10 minutes or so, mm. which is where it's established that he isn't Jesus. yep, um, Because obviously Jesus is, is born in the next door stable, and actually Jesus is there to, giving the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. So it establishes that he's a separate person. And they missed that bit. So then they put their own interpretation on it, and it's... I'm, I'm sure it's probably on YouTube. Is that it is? Um, it is. That. And I would encourage people to go have a watch it oh, because John Cleese's
1: um, reaction is incredible. I may play a little clip of it now, just so people can get some idea of how incensed. I mean, Michael Palin throughout the interview remains fairly quiet because he is just seething, yes, with rage. We,
2: yeah, John Cleese said it's the it's the only time he's ever seen Michael Palin come close to actually losing his temper. <laughs>
4: I was given eight or ten years, ten years, of a form of Christianity which I grew to despise and dislike. Mm -hmm. Largely, it insulted my intelligence. The sermons that were given at the age of eleven and twelve, I felt insulted my intelligence. When I got into writing this film, and we all had exactly the same reaction, we started to discover Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff about Christianity, and I started to get angry. Because I started to think, why was I given this rubbish? This tenth-rate series of platitudes. Mm. Well, there were interesting things to have discussed. Mm. There were factual and things. You feel nobody interesting... ever told me. Nobody the... ever told me that they don't know what language the mm. gospels were written mm. in. Yeah, that they you... don't even know who wrote them, mm. and they're not even sure what cities they were. Well, written then you in. must
6: have read very superficially at your school. Uh, look, John, it's very bad luck for you, but you see, I used to go to Clifton College to preach very often when you were there. <laughs> I know, I know the headmaster. I know the staff. I know the mm. All I can say is, you must have been as idle a boy as <laughs> uh, as splendid an actor as you are. Uh, I, wasn't because actually, if I you, was actually. I was If you really pr- to take this <laughs> seriously, I mean, you had some no, absolute first-class so so teachers. Were mm. They were a joke. They were a joke. Well, only because you made them. You no. cannot you it, I was how open, do you know about I, I know open. people who've clipped to college of exactly your own period. I remember who are now priests sermons. in my diocese. I
4: remember the sermons. I remember. You don't remember me... mine.
6: Tell me what I preached on. <laughs>
4: no
5: idea.
4: I only remember the bad ones.
5: Well no. <laughs>
4: I remember a gentleman coming and telling us how very difficult it had proved. To get the Bible into Tibet, you know? Hmm. They'd had seven occasions. The first time there'd been landslides, the second time there'd been rains and the pages had got stuck together. The third
1: time, (laughs) no, this is true.
4: The third time the mules had fallen off the mountainside, the fourth time there were thunderbolts, and the seventh time he said, God helped us and we got got the Bibles into Tibet. And the obvious conclusion was that he was trying like hell to stop them getting the Bible.
6: We really are lampooning this because by O-levels and A-levels going on the whole time people were taking uh, take the scripts, they would had to have studied Greek, perhaps Hebrew and have had made a serious study of the scriptures. You chose not to do that. I'm sure We've we have made a far more interesting study. things to do. We only had
4: four years to write the film. We didn't want to get too specialist because if we got yeah, too tra- special- I'm
6: sorry, I told you about Clifton College. But oh, still, I don't really think this has got very much to do. Could song. I just ask, as um, I think
1: in theory anyway, a sort of moderator, I'm supposed to be neutral. Or the Church
6: of Scotland, or the no. Church of
1: England. <laughs> Church. I'm supposed to be in the middle, but um, didn't you, I mean, I thought when I
5: saw the film, and I saw it in a cinema in New York with a very um, appreciative audience, did you not feel that in fact the people being lampooned were the followers rather than Jesus himself? No, I and mean, no, I thought no, that very really
6: strongly. No, no, I, I don't think so. It was, I really felt, I mean, the crucifixions above all else, which are things I, I felt sad about, because, I mean, I'm quite sure, as all of us will one day, and this is not trying to attack your vulnerabilities, but life is very short, all of us will be on our deathbeds in a comparatively short <clears> time. And when I, when we are, and that'll be no laughing matter, the, uh, that it is much that Christ, which I should like to be held up in front of me, then the Christ I saw. But the film on the did, did, did bring well, just, home to me.
5: Sorry,
1: sorry yeah. I was going to say very quickly that the, 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 the film reminded me of something which I obviously knew, but one tends to forget that it wasn't only Jesus that was crucified. I mean, an awful lot of people were crucified in the most horrific circumstances yes. every day of the week under yes, Roman rule. Yes, that's and, very and true. That that fact
6: came home in the film. You realised that, that Jesus didn't have a sort of total uh, copyright to crucifixion. No, yeah, but Jesus was crucified, wasn't he, for his obedience. To the, to the will of God. You well, can't say he was, say, he was you cr- can't,
4: crucified, surely, for, for
6: blasphemy. They accused him of blasphemy because he was obedient to the will of God and of his kingdom. You can't say that that came over to, uh, today, that any of the people who were being crucified. No, but that wasn't they, true. I mean, the whole way that it was done, it, they were not dying for a noble idea. Well, neither were
4: but I mean, I I think that what can I just make the point I was Ooh. trying to make earlier on about uh, the film not being seen entirely in religious terms. That I mean, as Tim has said, people were crucified then as common criminals. It was just a form of, of capital punishment employed by the Romans who were regarded as a highly civilized people. But it was capital punishment. And in the film we examine attitudes to capital punishment. As far as I know, in this country, the majority of people we are constantly told are in favour of capital punishment. It just seems we haven't come that far in all that time. Why do you think that through all these centuries of Christendom
3: that the greatest minds, the most creative minds, the greatest artists were believers in this thing that you airily dismiss and say that you, making this little film, have uh, managed to see deeply into it I and to reach mean, conclusions? I wouldn't say there well, are. What about knew. Freddie Ayer? What, what about Burton Russell? I'm you dismiss to... them, of course. No, they I, don't I, care. No, I said, that I said <laughs> in this, I said that the centuries of Christendom, I didn't say in our time, yeah. I said that if you were to make a list. Of all the mm-hmm. people who have contributed most most of them would have been Muslims if they'd been no, living in the Arab countries they, they, or they, Buddhists <clears> if they'd been living but in. What has that got to do with it? These people were inspired. <laughs> These people were inspired by this event. Which you have celebrated in this film by a lot of people on crosses singing uh, a sort of um, as though it's sort of rather in very a musical. Death uh, perhaps doesn't matter that much. Which no. after
4: all you're saying the whole time. I'm, I, I, you're looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it yes. keenly.
3: But so I'm, keen, I'm looking forward to it. About it no, no, I'm looking forward to it keenly because I know because I relate it to these very things that you dismiss. I relate it to the story of the Incarnation, this great drama of the Incarnation, which you have reduced to a sort of uh, comic film. Now, you think that in doing that, you have shed light. but I have to tell you that you haven't shed light. You've made some rather bad jokes, and the only reason that people come to see it is because they still relate it to this extraordinary story of the Incarnation, which is, in fact, the beginning and the end of everything that our civilization stands for. It, our civilization began with a man, the Apostle Paul, telling pagan world about the incarnation. That was the yes, beginning. But of it. We're not I... the
4: only civilization in the world. Not at all. No, I'm not saying we are. Not a civilization with different religions. Certainly. Right? I'm not. And, and the important thing is that people should be open to the various but possibilities, see... and that they should take critical attitudes. But, attitude yes, but to whoever them.
3: said they shouldn't be open? But you don't make people open. Mm. By producing the sort of
1: buffoonery that well, you produce. You certainly produce don't there.
4: make people open by giving them the kind of garbage I was given at the time. Well, then I'm, I. I I'm, I'm very, um...
1: Incredible, I'm, incredible piece yeah. of TV, and I'm glad it still exists out there. Something that wasn't wiped by the BBC. I think
2: that the idea that this is picking at Jesus rather than picking at what happened around is, is really a, a massive red herring. I mean, the. The guys, the Monty Python guys, did a massive amount of research into, actually, the, the historical period and the Messiah fever that there was, where, you know, there was Messiahs cropping up all over the place and stuff. It shouldn't be seen as being just a, a throwaway piece of, of history as far as um, the film goes, because they have actually tried to reproduce a, a fair amount of things with accuracy. So, that, you know, they've not just gone at it as a, just a, you know, sort of just a, a, a laugh and just On anything that even vaguely looks like, uh, um, you know, putting on a tea towel instead of a proper shawl and all these kind of things (laughs) for the for the Jews, you know, they've actually you know done things properly. Uh, Yeah,
1: it it was evident in Holy Grail. You know, the guy's educational background is is evident. You know, I think it's Terry Jones is. He's quite an expert on things like the Crusades, isn't he? I believe you know.
2: Oh, the, the, yeah, massively. I mean, unfortunately, his, his ill health now has stopped all that. But yeah. yeah he was, you, you know, history was what he'd done it, at university, and he, he proceeded to do, like you say, lots of documentaries later on, That's particularly right. about the Crusades. Mm. And it, his input into this, particularly with the historical accuracy, it helps it along to being that it's a comedy of about the time, rather than just being a, a comedy that happens to be set in the time um which is a, a thing that i think is very important i mean the, the the accuracy there is there and that's why i think that and the initial protests about it were from um rabbis because um, <laughs> yeah. they were they were complaining just over some nitpicky things about the shawl that was used in one of the scenes or, oh. or something like this and then it was it became apparent once they've actually seen the film that the real butt of the joke was Christians, mm-hmm. um, not Jesus, but Christians, um, and that's when the, it got overtaken by that. But to be honest, I mean, nowadays, if the film had been released, I, I think it would, if it was done now, I think it would get more of an attack for being anti-Semitic than it would Exactly for, for being, an, being anti-Christian, really. Yeah. But, um, you know, especially when, he's, <laughs> when there's a point where, where Brian gets told, That his father was a Roman, yes, and and he's saying that he's not he's not a Roman.
1: He's a Red Sea pedestrian. Yeah,
2: he's a cake. He's a Yid. He's a Red Sea pedestrian. Hebe. Yeah, I've um, heard that for years. Yeah, hebe. (laughs) Yeah, and that that now that was in something that would be straight away. Just ooh you can't touch that. No,
1: not at all. The um, historical accuracy is blatantly evident. I mean, I could imagine that when they were researching some of the some of the history, you know, to base the screenplay on. They were going through and thought, "Yeah, look, did you notice that women weren't allowed at stonings? Can we yeah. can we build a sketch around that?" And they do. You you can see because obviously that was genuinely true that women were not allowed at the stonings. Yeah. It's, it's not something that's widely reported in any history books. You know, it's something I wasn't aware of apart from from this movie. And typical Monty Python, they've developed a whole sketch around it. We actually. It develops even later on it's not just the stoning sketch it's the bit where Brian's trying to escape and he tries to buy a beard and he's haggling with Eric Idle
2: well that's the other you know Jewish stereotype the haggling <laughs> and things but um, absolutely they've, what they've done from my awareness of how they created the film they did what they usually did which was have a have a premise and then went away and wrote sketches and then brought back and looked at how they could fit the premises, the uh, sketches together to yes. make a plot. And I think this is the most successful one of them doing that, but mm. obviously they've gone away and some of them, you know, whoever wrote that part, whether it was John Cleese or whatever, had sat down and gone, oh, that's, that's interesting. And then they'd <laughs> written the part and then just slot it in where it was appropriate. But they've also, which is why this, this for me is, is the best out of the Monty Python works because they've managed to actually expand out of it being more individualized scenes. They've managed to actually bring bits out. Now, I know they did that a bit in the Holy Grail, you know, when he he later on references at the end about the, how do you know so much about swallows? And, oh, well, when you're a king, you've got to know these things. Um, (laughs) Because it was mentioned earlier on about the coconuts. But in this, there's a lot more of that referencing across different sketches that it makes it feel like a whole film rather than just a, a... a series of of interlinked sketches. So, um but yeah, the the historical research that they've done, it's hard not to look at various things in history and find it actually either absolutely appalling or absolutely ludicrously funny, or sometimes a bit of both. Um, what went on in the past? So they've they've done the research and given us given us the jokes of what what you can laugh at.
1: Yeah, I think what also makes it more sort of convincing more accurate and 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 it makes it appear more of a bigger budget movie is is the, the famous story that they use the sets and the props from zeffirelli's jesus of nazareth which was filmed i think the year before in the same locations so for something that had quite a minor budget and we'll talk about how they actually got the financing in a second as well it appears quite a grand scale as well there's no real sort there are some you know studio shot scenes but there's a lot of um, on location work here you know the thing that impressed me was when brian is graffitiing the wall and how on earth did they achieve that effect when it takes the long shot back and you can see that he's actually painted the whole of the temple or whatever it may be now it must obviously be some sort of matte painting that's overlaid but even then, the building is there physically. You know, they've used real locations. Yeah. yeah. And, and that just adds to the historical research that has gone into this, backed up with genuine... It's Tunisia, isn't it, I think, is the, is the backdrop <coughs> of this.
2: I believe so, yeah, because that was that was where they did a, a lot of that film. And, and again, it takes us back to Star Wars, doesn't it, obviously? But yes. Um, yeah, I mean, this is... North Africa gets a lot of use um, to duplicate... Um, the historical epics for Judea and, and stuff around Roman mm. times because it's, it's it's still got a lot of the old sort of bits of of architecture there and, and things from. Yeah. But well, we're going way back. I mean, I think Gladiator had some stuff filmed out there as well. And although that's not completely historically accurate, isn't Gladiator, it's still, you know, in that sense it tried to. So,
1: mm.
2: you, yeah, you've got the 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 fact that they've they've attempted to try and find ways within their budget to actually bring in the history and authenticity um, as much as possible without without forgetting that this is a comedy film yeah, they're still trying to make it as much based upon what it actually was at the time which I think makes it funnier if it had been just in a done in, just on a, a set on. Shepperton Studios or something like that. Sands it, you know, as we mentioned yeah. before,
1: yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
2: if it had been done more sort of up Pompeii style <laughs> yeah. um, I'm not sure it would have it would have gelled as as and drawn you into it as much as it did.
1: That's probably, you know, why certain groups were getting so offended as well, because it's like not only are they supposedly taking the taking the mick out of our religion they're doing it on a, on a bloody professional scale as well, you know. It's not some BBC production in a studio. They've actually had the gall to go out and do a multi-million pound movie.
5: Hello everybody, it's Tony. You may remember me. Um, I have appeared on a few episodes this year, but not as many as I should have. Unfortunately, I'm not there today to be part of this episode, Life of Brian, the Easter special, as um, my job has taken me away once again. However, I do come to you through the power of technology to have a little discussion on my views of the life of Brian. So, for me, Life of Brian isn't the masterpiece that is the meaning of life. The meaning of life is, for me, the best of the Python films. However, Life of Brian is also very funny, but you do need to have a certain sense of humour to watch it. Um, I've done a bit of background research into The Life of Brian and at the time when it came out it has caused a hell of a lot of upset. In fact, just reading through some recent reviews, it's um, it's still getting some bad press today, so um, I'm not going to go into the whole film too much because I'm sure the other guys will speak to you about that so it's a very funny film following the life of a child called Brian who um, was mistaken to be the messiah and as you could probably imagine if you've seen a Monty Python film before and not this particular one you can sort of see where it's going at the time like I say at the start of this horrifically offensive but I love it I love it it's not my most favourite Python film but it is still quite funny with some catchy tunes along the way So, again, sorry I can't be there today. Sorry it was short and sweet. However, I hope to be back at the Balaban Studios very soon. Back to the studio. I've always wanted to say that. Uh.
1: It's difficult reviewing a comedy. We've said this previously, when especially a Monty Python or something of this ilk, that you find yourself when you're doing the review, you just want to say, "Oh, what about that bit?" and "All oh, that bit was funny." And you find yourself rattling off the gags. You know?
2: but, yeah, you just want to you just want to quote the lines endlessly to each other, and that's what Monty Python kind of became mm-hmm. in the end after it had finished, and it was you know popularity of it lasted. It was it was that quotable comedy, and that's why you know I think there was um, a thing I read about some tour they did uh, after after this. And they were in New York, I think it was. Mm. And they were coming out on stage and they were doing the sketches and there wasn't the laughs until the very end and the applause and it was rapturous applause at the end of each sketch. But during it, it was Dead Sands. And John Cleese thought they were dying um, throughout (laughs) each sketch until the very end. And he couldn't understand it and one of the stagehands assistants took him aside and sort of stood him at the side to watch the audience while one of the other sketches were done mm. and showed him that all the people there were in, in absolute absolute rapture um, at the actors on stage. And their mouths were all moving because they were all like <laughs> saying the lines silently to themselves at, and, and reciting the script because they know the script and the, the sketches better than the actual actors do. So that's why they weren't laughing, because they were just repeating it to themselves. And it was the experience of being with them and seeing it live, rather than the fact it was fresh and funny to them, because they knew it like the back of their hands. I can vouch Um, for Um, that.
1: I I saw them live at that last thing they did, One Down, Five To Go, or whatever it was called. Went went to see them at the O2. Oh, you did, yeah. yeah. With Liam and Paul, the co-hosts at the Stinking Paws. And I can actually verify that, because we were there. And you could hear it all around you, especially things like the parrot sketch or the Four Yorkshiremen or something like that. Yeah, You could hear all around you the lines being said before they were being said on stage. It was incredible. Yeah, I'd forgotten you, you'd you got mm. to see him, you lucky, lucky bastard. <laughs> see, you had to throw one in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's difficult, but, isn't it? Because we could sit here and just, we could go through scene by scene and, and just have a laugh just talking about, each particular one, but these certain scenes, certain ones of these, and we're going to have to refer to them. He's not a naughty boy; he's the Messiah or bigger stickers and things like that. Are so well known; they they are yes. up there
2: now. Yeah, it's incredible. It is. Incredible. It is. They're, they're just part of part of culture, particularly with um, with our generation. Yeah. Um, I do think that there is. Um, I've always felt this that with Monty Python, there's a gender divide. I think it's much. It seems to be much more guy um, thing, following it? around guys mm. than it does around um, women. Um, although you know, I'm not saying women don't get it, but yeah. they tend to get it less. I think, uh, or just find less value in it. Um, Strange, yeah. And maybe you know, maybe they've got a, you know more sophisticated sense of humour than me. <laughs> uh, the the women I I speak to. Um, but it's it is. There's a, there's lots of every, you know virtually every scene or sketch in it is one that you can be quoting and. And with people like ourselves, can betray the lines off each other. Mm, there is and, yeah, you've got the you know you've got the you've got the Messiah bit. You've got the uh, when they're actually on the um, crosses. You've got the when he, he's trying to escape and things. For me, I've, also there's a massive resonance with me mm-hmm. um, for all the the freedom fighter political bits as well yeah. of all the. The committees and and making (laughs) resolutions on things, but never actually doing anything, and the splitting of the into different groups and the 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 language used in those meetings and stuff. That's that's still my you know my everyday life as a union rep. Um, Honestly, the you know where where you got to have your your correct language for making sure that you're not um, disenfranchising a particular group, and um, it's (laughs) it is that that bit for me as an extra residence of humor that i just find funnier than some of the other bits now to be perfectly honest because i've been not been part of my life um funny enough you
1: saying about women not getting it or not appreciating it perhaps as much as us guys do. there is that one particular scene where brian's about to be crucified and judith comes running in and they're having a committee meeting yeah. And she's like, we've got to do action now. So, you know, then they put it right. Okay, brother, let's put a point forward that we're going to actually discuss what we're going to do. And she starts screaming at them and runs out the door. And it's just that look that John Cleese gives Michael Payne. He's like, women, hey? Eh? Oh, you know, yeah. he's just like, <laughs> perfect. Do you know what I think it is, for me in particular, that makes this so familiar? Apart from the fact I have seen it countless times, I honestly couldn't put a figure on it. Back in the day, this was pre. VHS when it came out, and I was 10 when this came out, so I had older brothers that had seen it before I had. But we had, and we've mentioned this before, I think, previously. We had the album, we had the soundtrack album, we had the Monty Python albums because there was no videos at the time. So you would listen to the audio like listening to a familiar song, you'd know the words, and I think that's what it was. It becomes ingrained in you that when you finally get to see the visuals you just know it you just know it from your heart and I miss that sort of familiarity with a movie where that you can actually know line by line by line where it's coming up even to the beat of the words you, you've you got it here still stuck in your brain it's part of your DNA almost and I don't think there's many other comedians or comic groups that can actually do that
2: no I think you're right the thing is that it's for particularly Younger males, it's a bonding thing being able to, you know, quote the same lines from songs or comedy things. And at that point, as you say, in time, this was the go to for lads to do the the albums before the videos came in mm. and you were able to sort of re watch things until, the, <laughs> until you got a, a, a scratchy image on the screen because yep. you'd, you'd watch certain scenes so much. Ooh, yeah. But. Mm. But that's it's that bonding experience over the quoting of of the comedy and and that you you're together as part of a group because you all find these certain things funny It's is a lot of what it is I suppose for why you know guys and and younger lads at the time had the affinity for this and I mean you know some of the humour is childish but there's all as we know there's a lot of a lot of hidden depth in there and and, and cleverness I mean oh, you know there's yeah. no way I would have known. About the intricacies of of Latin and the conjugative verbs and stuff that
1: they get into. That similar to the union stuff sort of resounded with you. The Latin thing hit home with me because I did Latin for O level at school, and it was exactly like that. It was horrible, and it's exactly with teachers were like that, trying to drum it into you because it was so difficult. It's very clever because, you know, it sort of belies their background as well, doesn't it? We know that the guys were brought up not necessarily in public schools and things like that. But they went to university, most of the Monty Python team. And as we said, they were so very well educated. And if this was put in lesser hands, some of that humour would go right above the head of a lot of people. There's a lot of adult humour and there is a lot of childish humour as well, I think. And that's what works. is a really nice combination of the absurd and the highbrow, I think, in this.
2: Which is what I think it always was with Monty Python. There's that two layers to it at the very least, if not a third layer. Mm. And that's why, for the likes of ourselves, it's something that continues to be something we can go back to because it's not just got a shallow base to it. There's there's more to it. You know, as we change as people, as you said, we you know we experience things in life, and then suddenly we identify with a new bit of it, mm. which is you know worthwhile. And I think that comes a lot from the fact that it was. It was done by a team of people who obviously had um, a crossover in their humour to some extent, but they also had sort of their contrasting backgrounds in a lot of ways and and their own thinking and their own manners, and that brought in so many different elements that that laid it up as well. I mean, you know, I think I've seen somewhere written that the the one with the most religious background out of all of them was Terry Gilliam. Um, yes. But obviously not. That wasn't a Church of England background. That was more sort of evangelical preacher background. And that does, you know, it does layer out the why. Why there's always the different levels within there because it was a collaborative effort. The whole thing about the number of pieces making a greater whole is mm-hmm.
1: um, is evident here. Absolutely, oh, God, yeah, definitely. Do you still find something new in the movie every time you watch it? Yes. Or does something but surprise they, you every yeah, time? The, like, there's, you st- I, think
2: there's, I think there's sometimes bits that I forget, or how, I forget how funny they are. Yeah. There's bits like that that I... I think there's bits that I find funnier as things go on. There's bits that I think are funnier than um, I used to find them, just as I, I, I say, because this, of yeah. experiencing life, sort of changing things, and I'm going, oh... You know that that I now understand that joke better than I did before. I found it mm. funny, but now I find it even funnier because now I've you know my life experience has informed me exactly. a bit more
1: This is what I was thinking last uh, night because I hadn't seen it for like three or four years, and I'm thinking, okay, I know this movie. I thought I knew this movie. but I've watched it again last night. And I'm laughing on a different level, not laughing at because I know what's <coughs> coming up, but there were certain scenes where I thought that's made me laugh a lot harder than it should have done. Or it's made me laugh a lot harder than it did four years ago. And it is silly little things. And I mean, again, I could rattle them off, but I'm not going to because otherwise we would just develop into me and you doing silly voices and impressions for the next 20 minutes. Let's talk about handmade productions.
2: Yes, talk about the actual um, production of, of this film and how it, it got, got made because that is, a, as you say, it's an interesting story
1: famous um, story isn't it i mean well mr made himself appears in the movie he does um
2: uncredited and, and in, the, in the background um they nearly had the other person who was um set to um be influential in saving the film from um never being made he was going to be in it as well mm. um but unfortunately um that was keith moon who'd always been um, pegged into being the film um right from the start he, yeah. you know the, the accepted he was gonna be in the news. I believe he was gonna be doing the the sort of ranting preacher bit that ended up being <laughs> Terry Gilliam on the stood on one of the podiums. Perfect. But, um, and um, when it when the financing fell out from under them at the the eleventh hour, mm. he started scrambling around using his contacts to try and get the um, the finance together and they actually I can't remember who it was, one of one of them was, was saying in um, afterwards, saying that they had full confidence that he, he would have done it, he yeah. would have actually got the people in from various different sources to support it. But Didn't then, he approach like
1: Genesis it, and Pink Floyd and people like that? Wasn't he? Yeah, he approached yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: all all sorts and stuff, mm. all sorts of of the you know these these alumni of you know the Stones and all mm. these people who did have money. But um, luckily, as we know, there was um, somebody else who swooped in to to save the day.
1: Really. Mr. Harrison actually mortgaged his house to finance this. Incredible, because that house must have been worth millions even back then.
2: Yeah, and the, the the reason for doing so is because he'd read the script and he just wanted to see the film. Yes. Um, and uh, I think it was Eric, Eric Idle who apparently, were, you know, him and Eric Idle were very close friends. Uh, apparently Eric Idle said, that's the most most expensive cinema ticket ever bought. Exactly. So, <laughs>
1: Incredible story, you know. And and Handmade Films is at the moment, it's not in administration, it's a dormant company. But it's been making films right up to, I think, the last major production that they were involved in was, do you remember the Danny Boyle movie, 127 Hours? Oh, yes. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's the last one they actually had any involvement with. But when you look at what they were responsible for, and you look at the time in British movie making history, We've said this before, if it wasn't for Film 4 and Handmade Films, there would be nothing, no output from the British movie industry for, for a good 10 years. And, you know, it's things like, well, what are they responsible for? We had The Long Good Friday, Time Bandits. Uh, uh, with Now and I. With nail, yeah, Private uh, Function.
2: I think, I think more in, in more recent terms, as far as... Our consciousness, though so that's not actually recent mm. as it turns out. It's things like the Lockstock and two smoking barrels. That and was things. another
1: one fairly recently yeah. Again, yeah, it was it was handmade films in a different guise because it's gone through sort of administration and. Uh, and, and I mean, we say
2: say more recent times. That was twenty years ago, so uh, it's was not it that really. Long? <laughs> uh, twenty, uh, yeah, ninety-eight, yeah, was it? Yeah, 98, <laughs> 21 years ago. So, um, yeah, so uh, yeah, uh, showing our ages. It does, but, yeah. Um, as you say, along with film four, and when the rejuvenated financing came from the BBC as well, when they started yeah to to get back into actually financing um, film because they took a hiatus from it. They did a lot of stuff, you know, back when Ken Loach and stuff like that That's was doing right. it in the sixties and seventies, and it sort of fell off, and then it came came back again after film four really basically um, mm. gave them the nudge that they needed to be part of that. Yeah, and if it wasn't for handmade. Um, i'm not sure film 4 would have would have had the impetus itself either because i think it handmade showed um channel 4 with the, their film 4 that um it was possible to finance british film and make, make a successful. success
1: of it yeah make it successful exactly incredible story you know it, it totally rejuvenated british movies because up to this point 1979 the last of the carry-ons was signalling the, the death of that particular franchise and it was the sex comedies and what was going on in the 70s there wasn't anything up to this point was there apart from that sort of movie I can't think of anything major there probably will be there probably will be something somebody may may sort of text in and and say to us oh you've forgotten so and so we had a few big budget epics you know like Bridge Too Far directed by Richard Attenborough and people like that but a lot of that was financed by Hollywood. It wasn't necessarily British productions. I'm just grateful that when you look down this list of handmade productions, it's got a few of my favourite movies of all time in there. Definitely, Time Bandits and Long Good Friday. With now, you know, you can't argue with that at all.
2: No, and as I say, it's the impetus it then gave um, two other other companies to actually invest in film, realizing that it could be done and it could be successful. That's, that's one of the things I think it did actually have, and it was, it, you know, it, it was quite a variety of different types of films. I mean, you, you know, the, the way in which it jumps around, mm. like you say, the you know, it's zombie films in there and then nuns on the run. You know, it's <laughs> uh, it's you know, it, 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 it's it's a little place really, but there are some some great films in there. But its influence is in the show, and it's possible, and thankfully, you know. George Harrison had the belief, as well as the love for the Pound Python's work, to actually put his his money where his mouth was. Really, you know, Keith Moon was, you know, as I say, he was working at it, and unfortunately, he ended up sadly dying before production started, so he couldn't actually be in the film, which yeah. is very sad because I think that would have been a that would have been a great,
1: incredible, great, yeah. great to
2: see him him doing the ranty preacher thing, <laughs> the handmade films. Basically, was not single-handedly, but certainly one of the the main stairs in in rejuvenating
1: British film. Yeah, it really was, and that you know this started with this this film, Life of Brian. I think it did. Well, obviously a handmade film stuff, <coughs> but I think the whole rejuvenation mm. can be pinpointed here. Sort of. Although
2: I should we should just say that that it wasn't originally going to be um, Life of Brian as a film, though, was it? It was. Originally, the joke was um, that it was going to be Jesus Christ, lust for life, lust for glory, um, lust for glory. Sorry, yeah. um, and then it um, and then it was going to be um, the story was going to be about a late disciple. I think it was going to be it. Brian of Nazareth. It was going to be the thirteenth
1: disciple, wasn't he, or something that,
2: that turned up late all the time because his <laughs> wife, his wife, you know, wouldn't let him out in the house, so he ended up turning up late for the drinks after the actual meal and and stuff like this. So, um, Tony, um, but um, <laughs> The, the the way the film actually developed organically with the python team you, you know reading back into it it's amazing you know that they they did just feed off each other mm. to create this this amazing thing and it, it wasn't that you know they were they were without other things they were doing um you know Faulty Towers was there for John Cleese, and there were the others were doing like Jabberwocky and ripping yarns and things. Tools, yeah, yeah, that was yeah, nice. and they were they were all you know they're all there doing their own thing elsewhere as well. So it wasn't like they had to do this, but no. they genuinely wanted to, and they they seem to have looked back on this as being the best thing that they ever did. Yeah, uh, which I believe is is true myself.
1: Certainly agreed by many many people, and as you said, the development of that story, how it actually develops into what we get on the screen caused major, major controversy at the time it, it was actually banned wasn't it in, in 40 local authorities I think in this country And wasn't it until recently I think in one particular one in Wales was it Swansea or somewhere it there was, was
2: still there was, banned um, yeah there were, well there was one I think it was about 15 years ago it got maybe 15-20 years ago it got unbanned in one of the, um, the Welsh authorities but there was also somewhere in Devon yeah a local authority that it was only because there was one of the people one of the people who became the mayor of the town Mm. they unbanned it Mm. and she was actually um linked to the film she was either in it or she was or or one of her family members was in the film (laughs) so she unbanned it but um it was banned it was banned in um it was banned in norway yes
1: But then Um, Sweden picked up on it,
2: didn't they? Yeah, the the, the Swedes picked up on the fact that it was banned in Norway and they used it on the strap line of the poster saying, the film's so funny that Norway banned the (laughs) film. So, uh, yeah, it had that history. And a lot of the time, this was people, you know, banning it without seeing it, as we mentioned before about the criticism. And I think that, you know, the protests against it I think just give it extra publicity as to always, uh, be
1: successful film. As so, it always does. You know, you tell somebody they can't watch something, what are they going to do? They're going to go out and watch it for themselves. So I think there was this was a double-A certificate. and And somehow, I don't know how they managed it, but I think some distributors or somewhere managed to get it reclassified as an X to... You know, limit the the numbers of audience members that could actually go and see it. I think it was, I think it was the local authorities managed to get a new certification, which effectively bumped it up from I think it was fourteen, wasn't it? Double A, you could get into see it, the, the double A at fourteen. Yeah. So obviously, an X certificate was eighteen at the time. So I don't know how that was possible, but I've read that somewhere as well. No, no there's, I know that. You know I, I
2: can understand the nudity because there was some some nudity. I mean, you know, you yeah. get a you get a. a a very clear view of um <laughs> terry terry jones's balls <laughs> flapping around and when he's, and um and, and they but, drop a c-bomb as well yeah but i don't think the, the nudity would would change the rating it must have been the the religious right
6: um well i think what it was wanting to stock it up yeah, yeah i think it
1: was local authorities that you know we're not going to ban it but what we'll do we'll give it an x certificate so that you have to be 18 to watch it so that cuts out you know a, a quarter of the audience possibly you know those 14 to 18 year olds that would have seen it but again it's just that that whole thing of well you know you're not going to let me see it i'll find a way of seeing it or you know th- it just makes people want to watch the movie if they know they've been told they can't it's always been the case you know in in certain films you know look at clockwork orange the mystery that was behind that because you know kubrick wouldn't allow us to see it
2: yeah, and, this, and that was you know slightly different because Kubrick had made the decision on that a lot. Yeah. A lot of the restrictions on viewing it were down to him. Yeah. but um, on this, yeah, it was very much a, a reactionary reason why it either got ratings changed or outright banned. And you watch it, and it's difficult to difficult to understand as for us why it was a problem, because yeah. it's just a bit of fun. Um, apparently one of the python team showed it to to a friend of their father who mm-hmm. was one of, one of the there's apparently there's the um the queen's Canons, they're called which are like there's three of them that are officially the sort of the um priest to the um the queen yeah and apparently um one of the pythons um via their father knew one of these canons and showed them the script <laughs> yeah. beforehand and they Apparently, found it hilarious and said there was lots of things in there that they'd wanted to say for a long time but <laughs> weren't, allowed, weren't allowed to say in public, um, and that it wasn't a, it, the film wasn't blasphemous; it was heresy. Okay. And there's a difference, and there's a difference between blasphemy and heresy because it, it, blasphemy is is saying that the whole Jesus thing wasn't true, which in the film it acknowledges. You no, know, oh, actually, you know, puts Jesus there, so it's not it's not the film isn't disputing Jesus' existence but it's actually the message and and the the teachings and the church which is where the heresy comes in rather than blasphemy apparently and that was you know interesting distinction to to have that it's the people who are who are complaining about it aren't doing it in defense of Jesus they're doing it in defense of their own their own views and their own interpretations but It's a film that's just funny, and so why protest against it? If you don't find it funny, then
1: don't watch it. Exactly. 40 40 years old, is it still as funny as ever? It's got to be, hasn't it? I mean, you watch it every year. I've, I've, I've seen it God knows how many times. It still made me laugh, even four years after last seeing it. I laughed out loud, even though I knew what was coming up. Not many movies can do that.
2: To some extent, that's helped by the fact that it isn't set in a contemporary setting. Because, unfortunately, comedies set in a contemporary setting sometimes lose a little bit because the jokes aren't relevant to modern life as they were at the time. Whereas this, it's not attempting to be about modern life in, in that way. There's, you know, I suppose that you know there are the trade-offs with the political things and, and etc. But this is this is making jokes about things that are. Without the historical context, as far as the, the the time that you're in, it's talking about things in the past. So whenever you watch it, it's still things in the past. But yes, it made me, you know, I, I laughed it out loud at bits last night when I watched it. I think, um, d- judging by Twitter, we were watching it at the same time, actually.
1: Pretty much. Um, yeah
2: yep. You know, I think it's not not often that we end up watching a film at the same time for this for this. But no, we
1: don't. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Absolutely, it's it's a film that just. Keeps on being funny um, and doesn't lose anything with familiarity.
1: Do you do you think younger audiences would appreciate it, or is it something that was of our time because we were the right age for it and we grew up with Monty Python throughout our school years?
2: I think um, it still could be funny to younger people, but I think it's one of those problems where it has a diminished um, attraction to it, or that they find it less funny. Due to the fact that it's been so many other people's um, work has sort of sprung out of Monty Python.
1: Yeah, true. That,
2: and that they're more familiar with. So when they see Monty Python, they're just going, oh. well, that, that's nothing clever, oh. is it? It's so been, and so you know, yeah. So-and-so does that. And mm. I think that's that's the problem that, that they have. I mean, you know, obviously we know ourselves that the, the history of comedy that there's always somebody who influenced somebody before it yeah. i mean they had they had spike milligan in this film oh, of course yeah. um who you know was one that in a way they'd the goons and spike oh, milligan particularly, they, was a they, massive they, fan they'd, yeah yeah they'd, they'd come off um on the back self really yeah. a lot of their you know not the humor, humor was influenced by although they did their own thing with it they still was influenced by and before that the the goons were influenced by the likes of, you know, um, the Marx Brothers and and things. So there was always somebody going further back that was the influence for it. Yeah. But I think I think that will diminish it for um, the younger people today because of the fact that there's other people who've done stuff like this since and that they're more aware of. So this won't seem as funny and as original and as genuine as we see it I think so it will lose a bit unfortunately which is a shame Mm.
1: but for us it will still always be the starting point of a lot of this stuff that's the benchmark almost mate I think for for comedy not just British comedy Mm. but comedy in general the only reason I asked was we reviewed Holy Grail recently on the Stinky Paws podcast and I was talking to one of my younger work colleagues he's only 27 28 and completely oblivious to monty python knew nothing about them he said i've heard the name i've not seen anything i said watch the holy grail perhaps i should have told him to watch the life of brian but i said to him watch the holy grail because that was what we were reviewing at the time and he came back he said i turned it off halfway through he said it was just silly and i'm like yeah that's the point
2: <laughs> yeah yeah, it is that's why we keep watching because it's silly
1: yeah, strange, isn't it, how yeah. people's attitudes change towards comedy? Um, Mind
2: you, you know, they recognise that themselves. In, I mean, yeah. there's, a, there's a, a point within Life of <laughs> Brian where something has been said or done and and one of the characters just turns around and just says, you're just being silly. <laughs> and it's just totally deadpan. But, I mean, um, you know, thankfully the there is the deadpan delivery of Graham Chapman all the way through that the rest of the characters sort of bounce off. That grounds the film all the way through. Which he, of the of the Python team, he was the right one to be. That Deadpan he did it in Holy um, Grail as well,
1: didn't he? Yeah, you know, he was, yeah, yeah, which which worked. Mm.
2: Um, and I mean, you know, not saying that the him he didn't have comedy to him as a character. It wasn't like the um, the Peter Sellers character in Heaven's Above, where he was the linchpin, but he was you know without comedy lines himself, really. Um, in a lot of ways, mm. this was you know Graham Chapman did. You do comedy bits within this but it, it was played played straight sort of as it were yes um although it's, although no matter what how you look at it you can still can't look at, at graham chapman's running with those bandy legs and not find that <laughs> hilariously funny his, his his legs and the the high 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 step running in sandals and the said it's yeah, just yeah. yeah it's just um it's cartoonish yeah. Um, you know it's like out, something out of Roadrunner or something so
1: exactly it's silly little things <coughs> like that and silly is a very good word but it's also very intelligent extremely yeah. intelligent humour it's a five star rating from me if I could give this six it would be six you know but your rating I mean it's for you it's going to be watch it wherever and whenever you can isn't it this movie yeah,
2: it, it, yeah. I, I mean unfortunately there will be people who don't get it and will switch it off um, because they the don't see the humour in it um, I know um, people who are in that situation have sat and watched it through with me and you know I've been grinning and and stuff and they've just been sat there sort of a bit dead-faced and then they got to the end of it and they've gone yeah I didn't really get it I'm, oh, shit. <laughs> um, but but yeah it's one that I think would be hopefully be worthwhile going and seeing on the big screen I'm just you know I'm, well I am I'm, a bit, I'm bit w- worried about it having that callback thing and becoming too much of a interactive audience experience rather than actually yeah. just being able to in- enjoy it on a bigger screen in front of me and um, that would be my only worry but otherwise yeah absolutely you know take the opportunity to see it because it's it's iconic in so many ways as part of a bit of British, British cinema as part of um, British comedy and just a, a, it's got a lot of a lot of um, place within British culture as Monty Python and this yeah. film in particular I think yeah
1: it's um, take advantage of the 40th anniversary re-screenings if you can over the Easter period this year if not just just watch it anywhere Just even if, if it's on the TV chuckle along with it because again it's one of those movies that you don't have to watch from start to finish, you could watch a few of the sketches in between the middle part or whatever no problem whatsoever and you'll still get some enjoyment from it tell you what mate, let's take a little break and we'll be back in a minute just after this Okay, Stephen, usually at this point, one of us would decide what film we're going to be watching for the next episode. But as this was an Easter special and we've got episodes recorded previously and things in the bank ready to go, we know pretty much what our running order is going to be. So just going to give a rundown for our our listeners out there about, you know, what what they can expect (laughs) literally over the next two months, because this is how far in advance we are. Throw in a few comments on these because obviously some of these have been recorded sir yeah hopefully the next one that should be broadcast is high hopes the mike lee movie which was your choice
2: which was the start of our mike lee run Mm -hmm. uh, which is is going to be um continuing but um yeah it started out with one that's again it's a humor in it but not a in your face humor it's just um a bit more clever and and down-to-earth humor i suppose of it yeah
1: it's, it's one of the lesser-known Mike Lee movies, but one of the better ones as well. So yeah. we're going to follow that up with something completely different to, to coin a Monty Python phrase. We're going to do The Wicker Man. Already recorded, Edward Woodward, classic British Gothic horror.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is a film that is held up in such high esteem, as well as being a cult following on it, it does actually have the quality to back it up and there's such such a lot of layers and intricacies to it that it n- needs to be looked at carefully um by us i think in order for us to properly appreciate it yeah
1: equally as disturbing and unsettling our next choice which has also already been recorded 10 rillington place we had a great conversation on that, that did, i'm looking forward to putting that one out
2: you were very happy when I, when I suggested that one. that <laughs> um, a strange one, yeah. It's, yeah. So, because, you know, we all, we all love a good serial murderer. Of course we um, do, yes. It's, uh, it's the thing now, but, you know, you've <laughs> got to not forget that with the Netflix series talking about various different people, and mm. um, particularly in the United States, let's not forget that back in the 1940s, during, you know, mm-hmm. wartime Britain and, and things, that there was... Uh, we ruled the
1: world in serial killers well, over here as well. <laughs> yeah. uh, change of tone for the next one. We've recorded an episode on Georgie Girl, but then equally creepy James Mason.
2: <laughs> yeah, in a different way, creepy. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. some some great performances in this, and it's it's a lot more joyful. Yeah. Uh, although it does deal with some some darker issues in the background, it's basically a joyful poppy film. It's a, um, it's a good a little snapshot to Digest and the other, the, the other two I would say Yeah Previously
1: mentioned Good little snapshot of the permissive sort of age the, the beginning of the sort of swinging 60s era as well I think, Georgie girl We've then got an episode coming up That I've recorded with our good friend Mark From the Good, the Bad and the Odd podcast We're doing the David Essex starring in That'll be the day Have you seen that?
2: I have, yeah, with Ringo Starr in it. And, and Keith keep moving in that one as well, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so it's a shame he wasn't in, in the Life of Brian, otherwise he would have been getting oh, close towards being in the Village Hall
1: of Fame, yeah, wouldn't he? Yeah, there is a chance he can still make it if we do Tommy and perhaps try and find another. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's on the
2: credits of um, Quadrophonius. so I don't oh, know whether that qualifies or not. But but absolutely, you know, I've seen it, and I'm looking forward to the review, um, particularly from yourselves, because of you you both having that greater appreciation and knowledge about um, the musical side of it, I think would be it's going to bring some insights mm. to it that I I haven't seen it for probably 20 years at least. So um, I think it will be a nice refresh for me to hear what you two have got to say about it.
1: It was a first-time watch for me. Was it? And I've now watched it three times. Yeah, oh, that's lie. how that's how much I enjoyed it. It was one of those films I said to Mark at the time, I thought I'd seen it. But it was the familiarity, as you say, with the music. We had the double vinyl, the Gatefold album. Uh and it was just always on the turntable at home, you know, nineteen seventy three, it was all the old rock and roll numbers belting out and it was a bit of a 50s revival roundabout then and we talk about that side of things you know the the time that it was released and the fact that david essex wasn't actually a star he hadn't actually had a hit when this movie came out and it was on the back of this that he then recorded rock on and things like that and became the teen idol you know so fascinating story and ringo start is a revelation in this movie as well right yet to record but already decided my choice for you we're going to look at the Wicked Lady, James Mason again, the Highwayman movie. To uh, be a first-time watch for me. Yeah, I haven't seen it for years. It's just I thought, let's go back to the 40s and, and have something black and white and classic. Tony and I are going to start the Doctor series with Doctor in the House, starring Dirk Bogart. Mark is going to jump back on board. Do you know this one? Party Party from about 1981.
2: I know of it, but mm. I'm, I'm pretty sure I've never seen it.
1: Okay, who's who of early eighties future TV stars, shall we say, and a cracking soundtrack by people like Banana Rama and stuff like that. So interesting. I haven't seen that possibly since it first came out. And then we're going to get Ben, our good friend Ben from the Rated H podcast, on board at some point roundabout then to review Get Carter.
2: Yeah, I'm looking forward to um, the, the possibility of, of getting on um, on that. We've been mm. and, and, and because I, you know I've read the book and I know you're familiar with the film oh. and I know that it's got a special resonance for, for Ben up there from from previous conversations I've had with him. So I'm um, um, hopefully um, the three of us can can do a great you, um, yes. great review of that because it's um, certainly a lot better than the remake. Um, oh, I refused to watch um, it. Yeah. yeah, but it's uh, it's it is an iconic film and and. and um it's on the list for me to what i was going to suggest at some point in the far from future so i'm glad ben's involvement is going to be there because i think Mm. that'll that'll really um lift it up a level
1: good three-way conversation mate never never does any damage so all that remains wish all our listeners out there a very happy easter eat as much chocolate as you want always look on the bright side of life
2: happy chocolate egg day indeed
1: (laughs) (laughs) thank you for being there as per usual my friend
2: no, it's been my pleasure as usual.
1: See you very soon.
2: OK, take
1: care. Bye-bye. Absolute sha.
4: A positive sha. Bon voyage. Goodbye!
1: Good
2: luck. Thank you.
0: hand up sir